to grocery stores where at least five employees at supermarket chains all across the country have died from the virus, including two at the same Chicago area Walmart. Grocery stores and their workers are among those on the front lines of this pandemic. You think of those on the front lines of the crisis, nurses and doctors come to mind. But as this continues, there's lots of love going out to grocery store workers. For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. And we are all worrying about our families and friends and our communities. We have never seen anything like this before. But the one thing we do know is that we are all in this together. What one of us does affects all of us, and we need to support each other. That was Stuart Applebaum, president of the RWDSU, speaking directly to his members about the coronavirus crisis. The retail, wholesale and department store union represents a wide range of workers, and many of them have found themselves on the front lines of this pandemic. Stuart Applebaum is on the line with us from New York City. And Stuart, I know you've been very busy during this health crisis. Thank you for taking some time to talk to us today. Hello. It's good to be here with you. I think at this time, it's more important than ever for us to remain in contact with each other and talk with each other, even if we cannot be in physical contact. I agree. So I and I hope that you are well. Um, I wanted to find out your thoughts today. So when you get up, like what's on your mind when you get up knowing we're in such an extraordinary time, particularly when you have so many members who have a key role in this crisis? I have to admit, when I get up each morning, I wake up worried, worried about what's going to happen to the members of the union this day, what's going to happen to their families. And I also wake up angry, angry about employers that are not doing enough, no matter how much we insist, no matter what we tell them, there are employers that are failing in their responsibilities. Well, can you give our listeners an idea first of who it is that you represent? Where do your members work and and what portion of them are right now continuing to work on the front lines? Sure, of course. We represent people in many different areas. So we have people on the front lines now who work in supermarkets, who work in drugstores, who work in nursing homes, and people who go to work every day working in food processing. We represent people primarily east of the Mississippi. And we have the greatest concentration of our members in places like New York and New Jersey, but also in Alabama and Georgia and Mississippi, as well as the Midwest. So can you tell us, you mentioned at the top of this um, podcast that you also wake up a little angry. What are some of the challenges that your members are facing from the beginning of this crisis and and what are they facing right now? Well, let me begin by just talking about the people on the front lines, Um, the people who are working in supermarkets and drugstores and nursing homes. People get up each day, and they have to get to work, and they're worried about getting to work, being exposed to other people. In New York, you ride the subways, and that in itself is dangerous. 
when you get to work, you have the challenges of getting um, PPE, personal protective equipment. Not all facilities still have the equipment that is required for people. And in supermarkets and drugstores, people have intense schedules right now as workers call out sick and there are fewer people in the workplace and people have to take on more and more work and more and more responsibilities. Um, And they're being exposed to many people throughout the day and a lot of people are on edge. And the people with whom they're dealing in supermarkets are often um, concerned and angry themselves. And that's to be expected, but it makes it much more difficult. Um, I think that people also have the challenges themselves of accessing health care with an overwhelmed health care system. And that's especially true when they're dominant language is not English, and English may not even be a language that they use. Um, it's, and in non-union stores, workers often don't know their rights, and, are, and even if they do, they're afraid to access them because their own work feels precarious. Um, and people with schools closed all over the country are worried about child care. And um, that continues, even in places where they've been designated first responders or essential workers with access to child care, because the child care itself is still being worked out in many different places. It sounds like it's a tremendous amount of stress on everybody. When you mentioned the language barrier, I don't think that's something that a lot of people are really considering right now. That has got to be difficult. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We also represent people, and I'll tell you about another group of people, many of whom are not working, and that's car wash workers who have um, often have difficulty with the language but also may have even something more problematic, and that may be the lack of documentation. And the lack of documentation prevents them from accessing whatever benefits or support there may be out there. Uh, Stuart, would Um, that mean, would that be difficult for that group also then to even be tested for this? It has been. It has been. And people are very worried, and they're being, we talk about how people are being hurt, and they're being hurt even more. Um, And so we're trying to do what we can for them. Um, And if anyone's interested, we're setting up um, a fund for car wash workers who may not have access to other resources. Let let me talk to you about some of our other workers as well, and those are people who work in food processing. A lot of our food processing workers work in poultry plants, and what has been going on in poultry plants across the South has been outrageous and disgusting. Even up until this week, um, some plants have provided PPE for their workers. People in a poultry plant work 
elbow to elbow, and they are working without um, face masks, and they're working at an incredibly fast speed of uh, perhaps 100 birds a minute flying down the lines. The poultry plants have been insensitive and unconcerned about what's going on. Some of them only recently have started to respond. But we've had situations where um, a poultry plant was charging its workers for face masks. If you wanted a face mask, you had to purchase it from your employer. It was a low cost, but you still had to purchase it. In another plant, the owners said that they didn't have face masks for people. They couldn't provide that. They didn't have access. And the next morning, people came to work still without face masks, and they saw all their supervisors were wearing face masks, but none of the people on the line had them. Um, it's been it's been really, really bad in poultry plants. Um, and that's why so many workers have been walking out of the plants. Um, the, it's, there seems to be a lack of concern of the safety of their workers. And we've seen the first deaths already in poultry plants and large numbers of people getting sick in the plants and bringing it back to their families and their communities. Some of the plants have had to close. And I think that there is a particular responsibility on these plants because if you do not provide appropriate safety measures, you're going to endanger the nation's food supply, and mm-hmm. nobody wants that to happen. Yeah, you're so painting you're painting a pretty uh, uh, a pretty dire picture there. I mean, are is anywhere um, are are these plants listening? Is management starting to listen? I mean, obviously, to get this far into this and have these issues is a huge concern. But are you seeing a, a turn for the better? anywhere or is it just is it really that bad well i think that what has happened is that we have been able to expose some of these conditions in the press Mm -hmm. and i think the owners get angry but it forces them to start to make improvements Mm -hmm. um and I think that's appropriate. They come back, they tell us, you're ruining your relationship with us. It's, our relationship is based on protecting the workers and representing the workers. If that's um, the relationship that's being destroyed um, that we have now with the plant, so be it. Our responsibility is to the members of our union and all the workers in these plants. Mm-hmm. But there are people who are doing the right thing. Don't get me wrong. Um, and I want to highlight one company in Ohio that represents thousands of people in a bacon processing plant. The, um, the, the company is called Freshmark. It's in Canton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. 
and it started putting up plexiglass barriers between the workers on the assembly line before anyone had said a word to them. It started staggering, um, staggering the time when people come to work, staggering breaks, watching out for its employees, providing more space for people to take breaks in, getting rid of doors and handles when people came to work each day. And uh, it's I really want to salute Freshmark in Ohio. It's the model for what others plan to do. Um, and it's um, I congratulate them on it. Well, and I'm, I'm sure it's because of a lot of the work that you're doing, Stuart, to, to push these stores to do that type of thing in the, in the city. Because in, here in the Albany area, we are seeing more stores with the plexiglass and, you know, having right. having shoppers stay back. And hopefully they're doing that in the city as well. Um, yes, they are. They are. And uh, But sometimes we've had to get the mayor of New York City involved in order to get, for instance, a drugstore chain to agree to put in plexiglass to protect the cashiers in the drugstore. But they did it. Um, and we have to put whatever pressure we can, whether or not it's government officials or whether or not it's the glare of the media. But our responsibility is to make sure that our members remain safe. Can you um, is there, nursing, go ahead, I'm sorry. I, I want to give you I want to give you another example. One mm-hmm. nursing home, if you could believe this, said they could not provide face masks to their workers. And it was so bad that the union itself went and purchased thousands of face masks that we gave to our members in the nursing home, in a nursing home, because the nursing home would not do it. Yeah, that's... But others are are doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. It goes across the spectrum. Is there something that, that, can you, um, any any thoughts on what members of the public can do? So what can we do? What would you ask of those of us who have to go into pharmacies, go into the grocery stores? Is there something we can do to protect ourselves and your members? Well, I think we know what we need to do. We need to social distance. Mm -hmm. We need to wear face masks. Um, But I will ask people to do one more thing um, when they go into drugstores or supermarkets, and that is to understand that these workers are under stress, too, and don't create any additional stress for them. One thing that I hope comes out of this virus is that people will understand the value, the importance of the jobs that are performed every day by low-wage workers. They've been undervalued, underappreciated, and I think that's starting to change. We have to respect all work, and especially the work of these low-wage workers that are allowing our society to continue and for all of us to go on and to be fed and to receive the medications we need. So um, during yesterday's briefing, Governor Cuomo was asked about grocery store workers in particular, and he made the point of including them in the category of frontline workers. Have your members, the grocery store workers, pharmacists, the um, folks who work in the food processing plants, have they been designated by the federal government as frontline workers? 
Um, I think that in state by state, um, city by city, county by county, we've been seeing that happen more often. And I think the importance of that designation is that it provides you access to different things that are so desperately needed for them to be able to continue. And that is child care, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say that the people who have received that designation um, among our membership are most likely to be grocery workers. Okay. Uh, food processing workers are essential, but they have not received that legal designation in many places. Okay. And even in New York, even in New York, it's a county-by-county county decision. It's not a statewide mm-hmm. decision. All right. And I know, um, so we're, this is, this podcast is going to be uh, out distributed um, later today, Wednesday, uh, April 8th. And there's talk as early as possibly tomorrow within the next few days that the Congress is working on um, some hazard pay. I don't know if you're familiar with this, up to $25,000 a year, like $13 an hour for um, some frontline workers, including nurses, and that could expand to others, I believe, grocery store workers. Are you familiar with this? Um, I heard Senator Schumer mm-hmm. talk about this yesterday, but I haven't seen all the details yet, but I think that it's really, really appropriate. People are putting their lives on the line. They're putting their health on the line for the sake of everybody else. And I think we need to respect what they're doing Mm -hmm. and appreciate what they're doing. And I think that we need to compensate them as well, because along with everybody in the healthcare profession, these workers too are essential and they are heroes for going into work every day. Mm-hmm. Some of them now are going into work seven days a week at grocery stores. Wow. We need to value them. We need mm-hmm. to appreciate them. We need to thank them. And I think that we need to give them this hazard pay as well. Absolutely. And Stuart, um, you've been out in front of the fight for workers at Amazon who are trying to have a voice during all of this. And workers at Amazon all across the country have held walkouts, including at the Staten Island Distribution Center. Staten Island, New York. Amazon, JFK. Got 30 cases. Don't want to shut down. It's unacceptable. This is obnoxious. This is inhumane. There's other warehouses across the country shutting down, getting clean. They don't want to shut us down because we're the money network. We're the Epic Center. This is un- this is really unacceptable. 30 cases. Uh, what brought the them to this call? point, and how are things going right now? Oh, it's outrageous what's going on in Amazon, and it's a problem all over the world with Amazon. The um, workers at the Staten Island facility um, were worried as they saw more and more people becoming infected with the virus. They were concerned about the conditions under which they were working. Chris Smalls was the leader of the first walkout. Mm -hmm. And Chris Smalls first went to HR at the facility 
and said, there are problems here. We're all worried. What are you going to do? And HR didn't do anything of significance. And then Chris was worried about his friends and co-workers, and he said to them, it's, uh, it's, we have to do something or more of us are going to get sick and people are going to die. And they, um, they walked out, and it got the attention of the country. It got the attention of the American labor movement as well, because signing along with us were the leaders of the AFL, CIO, and major unions, such as the AFT and AFSCME and SEIU and UFCW and Teamsters, all coming together for the first time in support of Amazon workers. Mm -hmm. But you have to look at what the response of Amazon was to this. A, a memo was leaked, a memo from, I believe, the general counsel of Amazon, which stated that they had to deal with this, not by fixing the problems at their facilities, but treating it as a public relations problem. That's outrageous. Mm -hmm. They said the first thing we have to do is smear Chris Smalls. They called him not smart and not articulate. They wanted to smear the whistleblower rather than curing the problem that he was bringing to public attention. We've seen this all over the world. In Italy, there was an 11-day strike at an Amazon facility until Amazon finally agreed to sit down with workers and listen to their concerns. I'll ask you this. I'll ask your listeners this. Why would Amazon do that in Italy and refuse to do that in New York? It is wrong. It is outrageous. And I know the New yeah. York Attorney General and the mayor, they have launched an investigation into uh, the um, firing of that worker. Is that right? Thank you, Tish James. Thank you, Bill de Blasio. Yes, they have. And I think that is the absolutely right thing to do. They need to solve the problems at the plant, at the facilities, not treat it as a public relations problem. There was another walkout yesterday because the problems are only getting worse. More and more people are reported to be infected at the facility in Staten Island. Well, are you are are you hopeful that things are going to get better there at Amazon? I mean, what what are we looking at going forward? Do you think we're hearing from more and more workers? at non-union facilities, at Amazon facilities, at supermarkets that are non-union, at workplaces all over the country that are non-union. Because I think people understand they need a united voice in this, a united voice that a union provides. People are often afraid to stand up and speak out if they think it's going to put their job in jeopardy. But when they know 
their safety and the safety of their families and even their lives may be in jeopardy. They understand that they need to do something. They need to speak out. And we're seeing this all over the place. Well, I'd like to end on that um, uplifting note, Stuart, and and just say to you, um, you have such a, a positive message, and you have you can hear the passion in your voice um, with all the work that you're doing. So, on behalf of our president, the president of the New York State AFL-CIO, Mario Saleno, I just want to say thank you for your leadership always, but particularly now, Stuart. Thank you very much, and thank you for taking the time. And I hope that you stay safe. Thank you. May I say one more thing? Absolutely. Um, um, First of all, on a personal note, because you mentioned Mario, Mario is a hero of mine, and I want to thank Mario for the leadership he's providing for all of us. But I also want to say, at some point, we're going to get to the other side of this virus. We're going to get to the other side of this pandemic. And I hope that there are a few things that are learned from what has happened. First of all, all workers need to be valued and appreciated. And I think we're starting to see that. And secondly, secondly, I think it's important for people to understand that the only way they can have a voice at times like this is by coming together and organizing. We understand that we're all in this together, and what we need to do is to support each other. We need solidarity, and that is the message of the American labor movement. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your show today. Well, well said, Stuart, and thank you very much. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Joining me on the line now is our digital director, Kevin Eitzman. Kevin, how are you doing? Good. Happy to be on the podcast with you, Darcy. And we were just uh, hearing Stuart talking about uh, the frontline workers that he represents, whether it's in the pharmacy or in the grocery store. And these folks really are essential and um, are also heroes out there now in the middle of this crisis. Absolutely. I mean, before the, the pandemic, we always thought that, you know, Frontline workers or first responders, you know, were, were the, the hero that everybody, you know, thought of. But then you realize the grocery store workers, the, the people that are out there making sure during this pandemic that we can get the goods and get the services that we need are really critical. They're, they're essential. Right. And it, you know, whether, right, we need a food or we need um, cleaning products for our home and they're helping us to stay, stay safe in that way. And it's good to see. And these are things that Stuart and others have fought for the plexiglass that we're seeing to keep them safe now. And we have to remember to keep our distance and respect their distance when we go into these stores and to go into them as, as um, little as possible throughout this, right. And not be in there every single day and be crowding with people and in an effort to keep all of us safe. Absolutely. And after this is over, we need to make sure that we uh, continue to fight for them and, and make sure that they're getting the wages and the, the uh, protections on the job that they get, not only during the pandemic, but after the pandemic, because we've all learned how important they are. Right. We can't forget. You're absolutely right. We've got to keep going with this to, to be able to give them a voice in their workplace. 
Well, Kevin, I, um, you sound healthy. I'm glad to hear that. I hope you're staying safe and uh, your family uh, staying safe and healthy as well. Thank you and yours. All right. Take care, Kevin. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Union Strong podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State unions strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.